This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, good morning. Frank Proctor, the sous chef of the garden here. Uh, All set to welcome from our studio in Prince Edward County, the one, the only, yes, our very own master gardener, Charlie Dobbin. (laughs) <laughs> oh, wow. Franklin, what have you got in your coffee this morning? Well, I I just made a pot of extra strong coffee. I'm on about my third cup. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, you better slow down, bucko. Yeah, but you know that idea of putting a little something extra in that coffee, not a bad one, Charlie. <laughs> oh, you know it. This whole idea of staying home certainly makes having a little extra trip to the wine bar quite appealing, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> have you noticed? <laughs> uh, sure. What I have noticed was the fact that the garden centers got the okay to open last weekend. So that's great news. Absolutely. Oh, and uh, just in case folks are tuning in for the very first time, a reminder that because we're all doing our shows remotely, it means no phone calls because we're dealing with emails, right? That's right. Uh, but we do have lots of emails from our listeners. And of course, we welcome more questions for next week. How about giving out my email address, Franklin? Of course, Your Majesty. Uh, all righty. <laughs> Here's what you do. Uh, send your email to c.dobbin, that's D-O-B-B-I-N, at mzmedia.com. Uh, anything else uh, we've got coming up uh, before our first break? You want to mention? Well, uh, well, I think that perhaps we wanted to mention my website. Oh. Because remember, there are some great tips on my website. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, I, I put that one page that I printed out aside, wouldn't you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, go to charliedobbin.com, and it'll bring you up on your website, and you go to the tips. And there are all sorts of wonderful tips on there, like our, our friend uh, from... Uh, uh, Werner Tilsenberg, right? Uh, the wonderful recipe he has for growing fantastic tomatoes. They're all there anyway. So check it out, folks. It's just a great little website. And you know what? Just one quick thing to mention. I did get an email later last night or yesterday when I had already forwarded you enough email. And this is from somebody named Katie, and she's writing from sunny Northern California. Uh, she does enjoy our show and has for several years. Um, she obviously has to make some adaptions to the temperature zones when we're talking about what we can grow when. But she lost the information that was Warner's wonderful recipe for making tomatoes grow amazingly. That's with the water bottle and the powdered milk. Uh, so right, she sure. said, uh, she says, thank you very much for all the orchid help. She's been very successful with her orchids. She sent me photographs. So congratulations, Katie. And as Frank just mentioned, charliedobbin.com, there's your recipe for Warner's 
famous, fancy tomato uh, growing tips and techniques for the best tomatoes in the world. Okay. Well, we have lots of tips, certainly a lot of emails to deal with. We'll get to those very shortly. Coming up next here on The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, here we are on The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio, AM 740, 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. And from the studios there in Prince Edward County, back with Charlie Dobbin. Hi, Charlie. We're all set to go with emails, so let's get to it here. Have a, a nice note from Andrea McConnell, and she says, My lantana needs help. Uh, she's attached three photos for you to look at. Uh, she says, seemed fine in March, and then the leaves started to shrivel and then fall off. I'm not sure why. It was brought in from the garden and potted in the fall, and it's done fine in previous years. I don't see anything on the underside of the leaf, so can you please let me know why it's become bare and how I may fix it? also like to know how far down the limbs that I can trim it to. Your help would be greatly appreciated. Thanks for that note, Andrea. Yeah, thank you, Andrea. Um, all right. When I look at the pictures that Andrea sent, it looks to me like a pretty old lantana. For those of you that don't know what lantana looks like, it's a tropical flowering plant. Uh, I think one of the coolest things that we love about lantana is that each of the flowers can be multicolored. So you can have colors that are sort of like one flower that's pink and yellow. Uh, on one plant. And then on another plant, you can have one flower that's orange and red. Again, all on the, the one plant. So very colorful, very bright, very, um, nice, easy to grow, um, tough plants. But I look at what's going on here. It looks to me like a pretty old lantana that's pretty old and woody. Uh, it has obviously gone in and out of Andrea's garden and home for a number of years. She says that she, she dug it up in the potted it in the fall. It looks like to me like it's a pretty old plant that's jammed into a pretty small pot. So I'm wondering if maybe she left behind a fair amount of root. Or, uh, just, yeah, has just kind of made this whole plant a little bit uncomfortable. It's quite got a hefty main trunk on it, but the pot looks like it's maybe a six or eight inch pot. So I would give it a bigger pot for starters. I would cut it right down, down to about four inches tall. I would get it into some sunshine and warmth and, uh, don't water, don't overwater it. Just water once. Wait until you start to see some little green buds. If there's life in that plant, which there likely is because it's a super tough plant, it will start to sprout some new buds and they'll slowly but surely open. And at that point, you can start more regular watering, but to start with just one full heavy watering. And a quick aside on this plant for those of you that are interested, um, <clears throat> years and years ago, when I worked at White Rose Nurseries, uh, actually in the Oshawa store, and we had lantana that had come in in little pots in the spring, and it was sitting there. And a guy walked out into the garden center, a customer. He walked out, and he ch he did a complete double take when he saw those lantana. And he went, what? I can't believe you're selling that stuff. And I went, why? What's wrong with it? And he goes... He goes, I'm from Australia. It's completely illegal to have lantana in Australia. It's an absolutely invasive weed. And he said, you, you, not only can you not sell it in Australia, you can't even grow it in, in Australia. It's completely illegal. <laughs> I was like, really? Wow. Yeah. So, but we, we don't have that problem. 
Winter kills it. <laughs> okay. And in your advice to Andrea, well, you were giving her advice about cutting a thing down to about four inches. I thought, is it sort of a, a natural, um, particularly for, for new gardeners, a natural feeling to say, oh, God, I don't want to cut this thing down. Mm-hmm. I'm, and so afraid to, um, you know, prune things down yeah. to a, a, a low level that they think they're going to kill the plant. Yeah, and, and honestly, you can sometimes kill the plant if you do it at the wrong time of year. So that's why we love spring. This time of year, plants are so full of energy and so full of potential. The day is getting longer, the day is getting warmer, the sun getting that much more intense. The uh, All the plants in the northern hemisphere are completely responding to the sunshine. So this is the time when you can do some pretty hard pruning on your plants because they will, if there's life, if there's vigor in that plant... It will withstand that hard pruning. Um, and then also just looking at the pictures even of Andrea's lantana, she's got some bigger, older stems mixed in with some smaller, straggly-looking stems. So, you know, realize you got to balance out the plants when you're doing your cutting back. Quite often, we'll take out the older growth to encourage new growth. So we'll take out the big, heavy stems first, leaving the young sapling-type stems to come up, and then we'll get a nice bushy plant. Um, and and I'm not a fan of shearing plants. I think a lot of times when they're afraid to prune, they'll shear everything. So they end up with poodles all over their gardens, whether it's <laughs> poodle lilacs or poodle pine trees or poodle anything. And it's, you know, you know what I mean by that, little round globe things. And it's just yeah, yeah. try to not do that. Like most plants do not want to be round little globes. So let the plant like find the plant's natural shape and support that with your pruning. Okay. Uh, I think we've got time for one more email before our next break here. Uh, Coleman McMahon writes in, oh, this is nice. She says, my wife and I are regular listeners to your Saturday morning radio program and have been there, I believe, from the very first show. We truly enjoy your presentation and your delightful banter with Frank. Well, isn't that nice, huh? Uh, My gardening concerns at the moment is for a Grosso Lavender and a Munster lavender, both planted a year ago. Now, both plants are in a planter box. We live in an apartment, Western Exposure, here in St. Catharines. Neither plant bloomed last summer, although they were planted in plenty of time uh, for summer blooming. I cut them down to within two inches of the ground to, uh, for the winter, as their foliage has grown well throughout the summer and fall. At the moment, there doesn't appear to be any sign of life in either plant, and I'm wondering what went wrong. Please, what do I do? <laughs> All right. Good timing for this question. This completely relates back to what we were just saying about the, the, the lantana that, uh, uh, Andrew is attempting to reinvigorate and wake up. Okay. Two, one of two things here. So Coleman may have pruned this plant at the wrong time. The lavender that he cut back to two inches tall in the fall may have been the absolutely inappropriate time to do it because, of course, the plant was shutting down for the winter in the fall as opposed to waking up for the spring like it is now. So Grosso lavender and Munstead lavender, which are the two lavenders mentioned, are fairly hardy plants. And in St. Catharines, it's the banana belt of, of Ontario. But it is colder above ground in pots than it is in the ground. So you're always going to struggle a little bit keeping plants alive in pots 
over the winter that are that are borderline hardy. So the winter could have killed the plants. That's number one. Um, the question of why they didn't flower last summer. Remember when we plant into pots, we're using potting soil or container soil. We've got to fertilize those plants at least once a month, right through until the end of July to encourage flowering and growth, et cetera, et cetera. I would have left those plants alone last fall. A tiny bit of a removal of up to one third in August is okay, but no more than that. No pruning of lavender after late August. Uh, in the meantime, keep them in full sun. Um, only water to like sort of thoroughly once. Um, leave them alone to see if there is any growth. If there is, you'll start to see little buds start to form down on those little stumps. So fertilizer and sun Keeping them, water thoroughly when you water through the growing season, but don't keep them constantly wet. Lavender likes to dry right out between waterings or, you know, dry virtually all the way out. They are very drought tolerant plants uh, and they do like to sort of go on the dry side and never, never want to stand in water in a, in a saucer of water. So remember that no pruning after late August, a little bit of trimming until then, if you want to fertilize consistently starting in the spring, right through till the end of July. And, um, and hopefully they'll come back and uh, you can start again and, and have a beautiful bunch of lavenders on your balcony this growing season. Yeah. And good luck with that, Coleman. And we have to take our next little break here on the show. You are listening to The Garden Show. I'm Frank Proctor, the sous chef of the garden. Charlie Dobbin, our master gardener, will return in moments here on Zoomer Radio. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio and our uh, master gardener, Charlie Dobbin, all set to go along. We've got a number of emails to deal with here. Here's a neat one from uh, Irene Clark in Port Hope. She says, hi, Charlie. I've listened to your show for years. It's very enlightening. I love to grow tomatoes and have done for a long time. This year, I decided I'd like to put a border around the patch to make it look neater. I bought three fence posts, got them home. A neighbor carried them to the yard. It was fantastic. Well, all of a sudden, I started to worry about what the wood is treated with. So another neighbor who works with wood and makes furniture, I figure he might know, and long story short, as they say, he suggested I put plastic on the inside of the wood. My long-winded question is this. Is there a danger of anything leaking from the wood into my tomatoes? She says, sorry, I'm Scottish and tend to ramble on a bit. <laughs> I love that, Irene. <laughs> uh, okay, so really good question. Uh, something that we did hear a lot about a few years back was what about pressure-treated wood and what is that doing to our soil? So remember that up until 2003, the way they created pressure-treated wood was they would take the wood and then they would soak it in chromated copper arsenate. So arsenate comes from the word arsenic. So they'd soak this wood into this liquid and then they would put that wood into a pressure situation, a pressure chamber to 
get that liquid to embed right down deep into the wood. And what happened was people started being very concerned, for good reason, that the arsenic, the chromated copper, could easily but slowly leach out of that wood into their soil and poison their soil and ultimately potentially poison them if they're growing edible crops around pressure-treated wood. So uh, the answer, of course, Irene, is... If you're, you're using brand new wood, which I assume you did, you went to the store and bought yourself some brand new, uh, wood to border your, your tomato garden, you're fine. There is no more arsenic used. They, um, it's, it's a very different mix that they're using now, but it is very specifically designed to not be toxic to people and, and minimize the leaching. Do not ever line a raised bed with plastic. Um, it would look, it would look ugly to put plastic around the wood, obviously, and then and the idea of putting plastic in the bottom of a raised bed is a bad idea because you want drainage through your bed to the ground below. So no plastic. You can put fabric if you want to put landscape fabric, which allows the movement of air and moisture. But stay, keep the plastic right out of the garden if you possibly can. And do not worry. You can grow tomatoes right up close to the new pressure-treated wood without any risk whatsoever. Oh, that's great. I'm sure that's a great relief for her. All righty. Uh, let's Oh, here's a we're, we're, we're going international now, Charlie. Oh, good. A uh, note from Lisa Scannell and uh, the subject plants for under the tree with full sun. She says, hello, Charlie. I recently moved to a new home in southeast Michigan, zone 6A, and I'm slowly trying to replace vast expanses of sod with beds. Now, I have a south facing area with a lovely pin oak tree that has been pruned fairly high up so the area beneath the tree gets full sun. I want to plant some perennials and ground cover beneath it without damaging the tree, but everything I find online or in books seems to assume that <laughs> under trees would be shade. Well, this spot gets full sun all day. Clay, clay loam, um, alkaline soil, what kind of characteristics of plants should I be looking for? And she's attached a photo mm -hmm. for your uh, edification there. I like it. So, yes, good questions, actually. And, and yeah, I hear your frustration, Lisa, when we talk about planting beneath trees, there is an assumption that it's full shade. Because obviously, in the case of a smaller tree, this, this tree looks like it's an oak. Oaks grow slowly. It might have been planted five to 10 years ago. So it's, it's slowly but surely growing bigger and bigger. And in 20 years, there will be a lot more shade beneath that tree than there is right now. So yes, we do start. And, and the other thing is, Different trees have different sized leaves. So the kind of shade that you get beneath an oak tree or a maple tree is a much deeper, denser shade than the kind of shade that we get beneath, say, a birch tree or, or a honey locust. So something with small leaves, we get a real dappled shade beneath those trees. And as, as Lisa points out, it's, it's pruned pretty high. So as the sun is rising or setting, you're going to have direct sun beating down onto a, the, the roots and the garden beneath that tree. So look for plants that are half sun, half shade is what I would be concentrating on, uh, that will survive well. They will go into the sunny locations and they'll still cope as the shade becomes more, more deeper and more intense over the years, because that's what's going to happen, obviously, as the tree grows. But one thing I'd just like to really point out, this is an oak tree. 
oak trees like an acidic soil. So they like a soil that the pH measures below seven. So it doesn't have to be dramatically below seven, but it does need to be less than seven. So six would probably be optimal for a pH for the soil that this tree is growing in. Um, now, uh, Lisa comments that this is a clay loam alkaline soil because that is her native soil in southeast Michigan. Right. The plants, lots of plants will thrive in that soil, but the oak will not. The oak will end up being, uh, the leaves will end up turning yellow through the growing season. So by July, August, you're going to have what we call chlorotic leaves because the pH is too high. So what I suggest you do, if you're going to put a garden beneath that tree, you're going to kill the grass beneath there. Um, You can kill it with newspaper. You can kill it by digging it out, flipping it over, digging it out, removing it. Either way, get some peat moss when you are amending the soil to to plant around that tree. Peat moss will help lower the the, um, pH of it. Uh, And every year you are going to, I would personally get a very simple pH tester and I'd be testing my pH every spring and every fall on that, in that garden. Keep an eye on the oak. As long as the leaves are green, don't worry. As soon as the leaves start to look a little yellow, get a hold of something called soil acidifier and follow the instructions on the box of soil acidifier just to keep that pH down low enough so the oak will thrive and then choose perennials that will also like that. Just, just a slightly acidic soil. And there's lots, lots and lots of perennials will do really well in that area. I could, I could spend another 20 minutes listing perennials for you, but, um, but yeah, a quick Google of, you know, acidic loving or, or even just, just perennials in general for what we call sunny and half shaded positions. Alrighty. Right. Okay. Uh, you know, as, as uh, you were chatting there, as you know, you've been out to the farm here where we live, Charlie, mm-hmm. and we've got a beautiful uh, scene as I'm sitting in front of the computer here and looking over the 33 acre pond just outside the, the window here. Uh, I noticed this big shadow come flying by. What the devil's that? Blue heron just oh, flew by. Nice. Just absolutely gorgeous. And it might might be uh, worth noting that we're recording this show, of course, on Tuesday morning mm-hmm. of this past week. And you now hear it, of course, on a Saturday morning. And according to the forecasts, should be a gorgeous day today, Charlie. Well, do you know what? Just today, as in the Tuesday, we're doing this, but also as the week is progressing. And, of course, we're going to be airing the show on Saturday. The forecast is looking gorgeous Finally, such a long, cool spring, which I'm a big fan of. I love a cool spring. My daffodils are still in full bloom. I still have tulips that I haven't even opened yet, and it's the middle of May. So, uh, but the coolness has been a bit much. It's just been too cool oh. for those of us that want to get going and we're excited to get stuff going and get it outside. We've been going in and out with our plants just with so much frost and snow and wind and cold. So yeah, it looks to me like we're, we're the cusp, right? the cusp spring is coming and we can really start to relax and get things growing and put some things outside and leave them outside is what i'm hoping for <laughs> that's right that's right i almost cried when i last saturday when i saw the snow coming down <laughs> oh no no anyway I, a bunch well a bunch of the email that came in last saturday were from people who were were crying <laughs> you could you, it's, that, that's it's, right it's right in their email like oh it's Snowing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, we'll we'll get back to our emails here now. I'll let you deal with this question in from Ross Snowy. He said, "Hi Charlie, I'm in Richmond Hill, 
with a 20-year-old red Japanese maple. Now, last year, the tree had two medium branches, one to two inches thick, without leaves. This year, the two branches have no leaves, and the branches were dry and broke when I bent them as a test, so I cut them off. Now I've noticed that three smaller branches coming off larger ones in the center of the tree have not bloomed into leaves. Would you know if this is diseased and if uh, anything can be done to save it, the branches that had not bloomed, should I cut the dead part and the live parts off the trunk to stop the spread of if any disease. Well, thank you, Ross. What do you have to say about that, Charlie? Uh, well, it's a good question, and it actually it's a it's timely because a lot of people experience dead wood on their trees and their shrubs in the spring as as spring is starting to progress and as the trees and and shrubs are starting to wake up and the the little green buds are starting to form. They'll see. It's like, like Ross says, you know, branches, medium sized, small branches that just nothing comes out. There's no green growth whatsoever. So Ross, last year, when your red Japanese maple failed to leaf out on two of the medium branches, they should have been removed last year and they weren't. So this year, no surprise, there's still no leaves on those branches because those branches were dead last year and are still dead this year. It's unlikely a disease. Japanese maples are pretty good in terms of not being susceptible to diseases. What they are susceptible to is uh, extreme cold. They are um, what we would call sort of borderline hardy plants. They're zone five plants. And in Richmond Hill, you are gardening in zone five. So it's not that unusual to have some dieback on Japanese maples every single spring. Typically, the dieback will be on the tips. So we'll follow down from the tips where we see, because it's a different color. Like you can tell when it's dead. It'll be gray. It'll be dark brown. It might even be black wood or bark on that those tips. And we'll follow down until we get to live wood. And live wood will often be have a red tinge to it or, uh, you know, a shiny gray or green tinge to it. So sharp pruners, dry day, no rain in the forecast, and no dull pruners, no bending, no breaking, just good sharp cutting, remove the dead wood. And do go to where those two branches are. Get yourself out of saw if you need to, because one to two inch thick branches are pretty good sized branches. You need a nice sharp saw. Remember, you're going to remove whatever you're removing. You're going to look for the branch collar. So that's where the branch or stem attaches to a main stem. You're going to see a bit of a swelling where that attachment takes place, and you're going to cut just outside the branch collar. A nice clean cut on, and just make sure that your cutting is on a, a slight angle or it follows the branch collar, but it's never completely parallel to the ground. Always a bit of an angle so that water, rain, dew will slough off that cut wound that you're making so that rot will not set in. And you want that to dry because it'll be a nice dry day. The wound will dry. It'll heal nice, very nicely, and you'll be all back in business. But also while you're doing that dead wood removal, look for any damaged branches from the winter and the wind and plants rubbing together, branches rubbing together. Look, make sure that the growth uh, is growing to the outside of the plant. There's not a big tangle of branches in the middle of the plant where they're all shading and running into each other. So remove some of those if necessary to open up the plant for good air circulation, good sun, 
um, uh, sort of uh, ability for the sun to get into the plant, and it'll be a happier, healthier plant for all of that. Okay, you fool! Yeah, you fooled me. You really did. I thought yeah. you were going to at one point say, "Well, what I would advise you to do is to call a certified <laughs> arborist to come uh, over and take a look at that tree." Well, and Frank, I, Frank, one of the reasons I mentioned Davy is not that Dave. I'm a sponsor of Davy, or Davy's a sponsor of me. It's just that they're a large company and they are across Canada. Actually, I think they're probably across North America. America. So Davey, D-A-V-E-Y, is just kind of an easy one to mention. But any certified arborist, if you are at all confused about the health of a tree or the tree is too big, the deadwood is too hard for you to remove, abs, you're absolutely right. Bring in not just Joe with a chainsaw, but a certified <laughs> arborist yeah. to do the right work. It's going to cost you money, but it's okay. Trees give you a lot, not to mention adding a phenomenal amount of value to your home. So if you got to spend a thousand bucks on tree care, do not, uh, you know, blink an eye because trees are adding up to 10% of the value of your home. Good quality, maintained, healthy trees add to the value so that you, it's always worth it to maintain them. Whether you're selling today or selling in 10 years, look after your trees. Right. And you can find the good uh, certified arborists on Landscape Ontario. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a whole list of those, as I remember. Okay. Yeah. Landscape yeah. Ontario is a big trade association. So yep. members of Landscape Ontario are listed on their website. And basically what you do is you put in your postal code and what you're looking for. So if you're looking for snow removal, you click that box. If you're looking for an arborist, you click that box and your postal code, and it'll come back with members who service your area. Okie dokie. Hey, we have a note here from Michael Dunn. She says, hi, Charlie. My wife and I are big fans of the garden show. Oh, and Frank's BBSN. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Mm-hmm. Give me a, a really nice little compliment here. Said, I'm, yeah. I've done a great job since George's passing. You guys are great. So thank you very much for that, Michael. Says, we are learning to garden, but are coming up against an enemy. The green plant that I've sent you in this attached photo is taking over. I tried covering the garden with tarp and digging out the roots, which are large and take over the soil and have many small offshoots, having had no luck. I googled and am thinking it might be goutweed. Had a similar flower in fall. Anyway, any advice on how to conquer this pest would be greatly appreciated. That's from Mike. Oh, Mike, my heart goes out to you. (laughs) This plant is totally an invasive pest. Oh, boy. It may have been planted uh, at your home or it may have traveled from a neighbor's because that's exactly what it does. It travels. Usually when people plant this plant, it's the variegated variety. So it's the green and white leaves. What you're seeing there are the green leaved variety. And yes, indeed, gout weed is the common name. The proper name is agapodium. So A E G O podium, P O D I E I U M, agapodium. Yeah, it's a hard one. I, I know people that have removed all the soil in a garden down to 18 inches to try and eliminate this plant and not been successful at eliminating it because a little bit of root and it grows right back. Oh, brother. So here's what you're going to do. Here's what I would do. Remove the mulch. I can see it's all, you've got that garden all beautifully mulched. Get your rake out, get all that mulch off the surface of the soil. Take any plants out that you love, separate them, Put them into pots, keep an eye on them because some agapodium might be traveling with those plants into the pots. If so, get that, you know, don't let that survive in those pots. 
Then you get a, whether you're lawnmower or, um, you know, a scythe, something like that, cut those plants right down to ground level, then get that tarp back out, get that tarp right down, right on the surface of the soil, tight to the ground, put rocks all the way around the edges of that tarp, soil up over the edges, make sure no light gets under that tarp. Uh, make sure it's a tight contact. There's no light, no moisture, nothing going under the tarp and leave it all summer even a full year if necessary. Um, and next spring, that should be clean soil, ready to go, and you can put your plants back in. If you say, I can't deal with a tarp for a whole year in that area, then, I mean, Roundup is always an option. If you are going to go the Roundup route, then do not cut the plants down. Leave the green leaves up and spray Roundup onto the green leaves every seven to 10 days until they stop coming up. And it will take you several sprayings because this is a plant with a lot of energy in its root. So good luck with that. <laughs> okay, Mike, uh, keep in touch with us. Let us know how that goes. Uh, Charlie, we have to take our next little break here in the Garden Show, but we will return to the airwaves of Zoomer Radio in just moments. Charlie Dobbin and the Garden Show. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, Forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is the Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. You've got the Garden Show from Zoomer Radio and Here's Charlie Dobbin one more time. How are you doing this morning, Charlie? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Frankie. But about you? Well, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm uh, enjoying all the wonderful comments we're getting from our listeners. Now, here's here's an old friend, John Attar. John from Mississauga, who's a regular mm-hmm. visitor to the show. He says, uh, mm-hmm. hi, Charlie. First of all, thanks for your last week's response. Can you please tell me the name of this flower plant? Now, obviously, he sent you a photo Looking forward to hearing from you. So you've had a peek at that. What, what do you say? I say that is one beautiful <clears throat> anemone blanda, <laughs> also commonly known as wind flower. So what we love about wind flower is that it, or I think it's even called Grecian wind flower commonly. So it's a spring blooming uh, perennial loves the sun, looks beautiful when it's mixed in with some of the spring bulbs because they do bloom at the same time. So it's like a little star-shaped, very cheerful blue-colored flower. So anemone blanda. Uh, you can grow this plant, no problem, in the GTA area. Uh, in the summer, it needs to be in a spot where it's going to be somewhat shaded from the hot sun. This is a plant. So often the spring flowering plants do not like the hot summer. So they need to be in a situation where it's, it's quite sunny in the spring and they'll bloom beautifully. But as the season progresses, shade will be, uh, will happen. So that means going back to, uh, our, our caller, our, our email that came from the listener who's looking to put things under an oak tree. Yeah. Lots of sun in the spring, little bit of shade in the summer. Nice spot for some of those spring ephemerals like primrose and, uh, windflower or anemone blanda. Sunny springs, shady summers, uh, moist, humid, humid, Humus, sorry, humus-rich soil uh, grows really well, zones 5 to 9. So that's just perfect for the GTA. So thanks, John. Looks really pretty. Thanks for sending that. Okay. Uh, here's a fun note from Elizabeth Cumberland, who in her note makes reference to the fact that when she wrote this note, it was last Saturday morning, <laughs> and she was involved in the snowstorm from her place in Oro Medante. 
And she says, uh, it's really depressing. But the <laughs> seeds I started a month ago, burgundy beans and Swiss chard, are doing well. Too well. I have about 25 <laughs> bean plants that are anywhere from 6 inches to 15 inches in height. I've transferred mm. many into deep terracotta pots and have four in each pot. Now, should I try to move them into the garden in early June or will they be happy to stay in the 14-inch terracotta pots for harvest? The uh, Swiss shard, only about four inches high at this point, so I have not transplanted yet. Many thanks, Beth. Right. So, good question. I like the, you know, this is common. People do plant seeds too early, and the seeds take off, and then they struggle to keep them inside, particularly when we have a prolonged spring, as we're having. My not a problem. You can grow beans in pots, and 14-inch pots are a good-sized pot. My only uh, thought is terracotta wouldn't be my first choice for beans. I love terracotta pots because they are they drain beautifully. Uh, they're wonderful for drought-tolerant plants because they not only lose moisture from the surface of the soil, but they also lose moisture from the walls or the sides of the pots. And beans are going to want more moisture than what the terracotta will hold on to. Beans like consistent moisture, and you're just going to find you have to water on a hot day. You'll be watering two or three times a day in a terracotta pot to keep those beans happy. So I would go into plastic pots if you want to go pots or I would go into the garden once you're uh, once we're frost free basically is going to be your challenge so start hardening off those plants start next week uh, taking them outside bring them in at night slowly but surely get them used to the outdoor the real world the wind the sun all that stuff so we do that over a period of 10 days to two weeks get those plants used to the to that sort of the horror outside and once they're happy get them planted outside. I think you'll find you'll get a better harvest that way. So thanks for that, Beth. Okay. All righty. Just a couple of seconds left in this particular segment. Might be a good time to remind folks that you are listening to a recorded program. We recorded this last Tuesday. So for next week's show, we do need some emails, some new emails. And uh, I ask you, please, to send along your questions to our master gardener, Charlie Dobbin. And here's her email address, c.dobbin, that's D-O-B-B-I-N, at mzmedia.com and hopefully next week you'll be hearing your name mentioned here on the show Charlie we uh, are, are set to take a little break here and we'll be back in just a couple of moments on Zoomer Radio Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin exclusively on Zoomer Radio you're listening to The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. I'm Frank Proctor, and here's Charlie Dobbin. Hey, we're working through those emails pretty well this morning, Charlie. I think so. They're just piling up on my desk, actually. <laughs> <laughs> have, have one here from Al Crouch. Uh, says, I very much enjoy your show every Saturday. I live in Mississauga on a 45-year-old property. My backyard lawn grows about six inches of in about six inches of clay and is now predominantly in shade all summer thanks to fully matured trees on both uh, my uh, neighbors and mine. Uh, Lamas is slowly taking over the lawn, so the grass is getting sparse. Um, another garden expert suggested the lawn was not getting enough drainage, so for the past several years I've been aerating it once and sometimes twice a year. However, it's not making much of an improvement. Anything else I can do to get rid of the moss and foster healthier grass? Mm. There you go. 
All right. So these are good. It's a very common problem, actually, that Al's having. And we've heard it before, Frank. Uh, different people have called in because of areas of their property are just having real moss problems. So, Al, here's the scoop. The person who suggested drainage being an issue is is correct to a point. We we have to look at what are the conditions that um, allow or or you know are favorable for moss to grow. Uh, areas of poor drainage, so moist areas, areas with low pH, so less than neutral pH, uh, tend to be very, uh, so, and shady. So we've got the shade, the moisture, and the low-lying acidic areas. Moss is happy, grass is very unhappy. So what are you going to do? You've got to change those conditions. And how are you going to do that? You, the aerating is not a bad idea. I would be also incorporating some sand into my lawn to encourage drainage as part of that aeration process. Um, no, so you don't want like peat moss or something like that. It's exactly what, the opposite. Peat moss will continue to lower your pH and retain moisture. So you've got to do whatever you can to maximize drainage. So sand is a good one. Not a lot. I'm talking a quarter of an inch of sand spread over the lawn after or before the aeration takes place. Do that every spring, the aeration and the sand. Look at the grading. Make sure that water is grading away from the center of your property out to the sides, which is how it was probably originally graded. And consider that certified arborist that we were talking about earlier to come in and do some uh, raising of the canopy or thinning of the canopy on your trees. Open up, again, open up those trees, get better air circulation, better sun penetration. You will have a lawn that can grow if you can get some sun and some air down to that ground and do whatever you can to facilitate better drainage. Okay. Uh, we have one final uh, email from David Draper. says, uh, I'd like to plant a flower garden behind my house and exterior garage that both face west. There's about 15 to 20 feet from the back of the house and garage from the neighbor's house and, and garage. So I'm not sure how much sunlight it gets a day. My question is what plants would suit this environment best? I'm having a little trouble visualizing his backyard. How are you doing with that? <laughs> well, I guess the main thing is this. It's not a huge space and it faces west. So if there's any sun coming in, it's late in the day sun. Uh, so again, look for perennials, David, that are, and they'll say right on the tag or the garden center will have them organized in the garden center. Perennials for half to full day shade. Uh, don't do any planting until you've made sure that your soil is in good condition. So amend the soil, compost, composted manure, make sure it's good quality soil. And then I can just list very quickly a few plants that I think would do very well. Ferns in general, aconitum, ajuga, ladies mantle, columbine, bleeding heart, uh, hostas, Primrose, lamium, even perennial geraniums would do very well in those kinds of conditions. So for anybody who wants to hear that list again, remember the show is podcast. You do not have to try and write it all down quickly. You can listen to the show again once it's up on our website, AM740 under podcast, the garden show. Expect it up on the, the website by the Wednesday after the, the show is broadcast. You can't see me, but I'm I'm pressing down my foot on the brake pedal. we got to stop. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, listen, 
it's been been a real treat uh, listening for, to all of those wonderful emails from our listeners. Charlie, and that about wraps it up for today, but we'll be back again next week. We will, and thank you, Frankie, for doing such a good job reading them all. <laughs> thank you to all the great <laughs> people that send in the questions. Thanks, Joel. Couldn't do any of this without you. See you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.